Good morning, everyone. Today we are with Professor Ashok Sahani from Punjab University. So let's start by introducing him. Professor Ashok Sahani is a world-renowned paleontologist with his specialization being structural and functional adaptations in mammalian, dental, and animal through time, vertebrate paleontology in the context of paleobiogeography and geodynamic models of plate tectonics. He has around 200 publications and with more than 25 doctoral students, he is an asset to Indian science community. He has discovered India's own T-Rex, which is Rajasaurus Narmadensis, which was discovered on the banks of Narmada River around 20 years ago, along with his team. Uh, Professor Sahani was elected as a fellow member of Indian Academy of Sciences, Bengaluru. He was awarded the National Geoscience Award for Excellence in 2011 by the Government of India. He was also nominated as an honorary life member by Society of Vertebral Paleontology in USA. He continues his work as an INSA senior scientist, where he is closely involved in popularizing science and setting up museums and natural history parks across India. Thank you, sir, for agreeing to do this. No, it's my pleasure. So, so let's start with an interesting topic. So, there's words, articles on that there is there should be resurrection of dinosaurs for resurrection. Anything. So, what's your take on that? No, that that's a far-fetched fantasy. There, there's no need to resurrect anything. Uh, you know, because uh, on Earth, evolution takes its own course. So humans are being are meddling with everything. They're meddling with the atmosphere. They're meddling with the oceans. I think this is one field that uh, we need not meddle with. Of course, there are many scientific, many scientific uh, attempts, and they they should be encouraged. Uh, for instance, in the Siberian elephants to get, get their DNA and try. To uh, resurrect uh, something that is easily available, you know, that, that is doable. But I think dinosaurs, uh, the DNA is not very easily available and there will be doubts that the DNA is true D dinosaur DNA. So even though Michael Crichton made his novel and uh, everyone uh, has watched many versions of Jurassic uh, Park, uh, but the truth is that it's very difficult uh, to extract dinosaur DNA because uh, in all probability it's contaminated if it's at all there. So that's uh, I think not possible. Thank you sir for that view. Sir let's know about your childhood sir. How were you as a child? What were your hobbies? So I, I came from a family of scientists. My grandfather uh, believe it or not worked with Ernest Rutherford in 1914 in Manchester and uh, my uncle was a fellow of the Royal Society, Birbal Sani, and my father was also a geologist. So my uh, childhood was not normal in that sense. It, it was uh, steeped in uh, all kinds of discussions all the time, you know. So my mother didn't want me to become a paleontologist because uh, there were a lot of rocks and fossils lying around and they were, she thought they were cluttering up a hole. So, but uh, um, it ha it so happened that I did become a paleontologist. So that's the truth of it. Uh, so, do you have any precious collections from your childhood days where you I don't know collected a fossil and kept it even till now? Yes, I, I have. I have. In fact, uh, you know, people can be divided 
into inveterate collectors. They collect everything, right from stamps to fossils to whatever they find, you know. So I'm afraid I'm one of those. I, I collect everything. I just don't let go. So I still have my coin collection from 1952. So, so I'm just saying that other people don't bother, but some people bother a lot. So I happen to belong to that category. Uh, sir, so what is uh, your favorite fossil out of your collection? Which one you like the most? Actually, it's very difficult to pinpoint. Uh, I would say that there were three major findings, you know, that uh, I've been associated with. Uh, not only dinosaurs. So I, I, I think the, one of the favorite, uh, favorite uh, fossils would be that of a primitive whale. A primitive whale or uh, insect in amber you know so so the it just depends of course coming to dinosaurs it was not t-rex that actually it t-rex was a team finding there was nothing personal in that but uh, uh, we did find eggs of dinosaurs nests of dinosaurs and uh, these three would be the most memorable experiences in my very long career it's about i started research in 1963 so you can calculate how many years I've been. I'm, I'm 80 years old. So you can you can calculate how many years I've been in the field. So I would say these these three uh, things stand out, at least for me. It's always personal. Sir, <laughs> so since you mentioned about eggs and also uh, in Gujarat, there is, in the fossil park, there are many eggs lying there, but there are many cases of eggs being stolen or like people selling illegally the various dinosaur eggs. So what is your take on that? Why something is not being uh, done properly to... You know, actually, a lot is being done. But this is a big country and there's so many sentiments involved. The people... Of course, there's pure vandalism. That cannot be forgiven or forgotten and it has to be punished. But you must understand that in Rawali, the park that you are talking about, you know, the eggs occur in limestones freshwater limestones and people have been building the huts with those limestones for hundreds of years you understand so so now you suddenly say we're going to demolish your hut because i, I can see a eggshell in that so it's it's not a very easy topic it, pure vandalism pure theft has to be condemned but but there are many other factors you know one very big factor is education if, if uh, the, uh, the local people must know the value, how do you tell villagers who are struggling for their very existence the value of a dinosaur egg? How, how do you do it? The people who have not gone to school, the people who don't know what a dinosaur is. So, so the, the, it's, it's, a complex, it's a complex problem. And uh, I, I think uh, the, we, we are working on a law of trying to conserve our heritage. It's our duty, our responsibility. We're working on that. But uh, as I said, sometimes the law is so strict that genuine scientists uh, are prevented from going to the field. How do you determine who's a genuine scientist? Isn't it? So it's, it's, it's a complex issue, but we are working on it. Thank you, sir. And um, again, thinking of talking about that education, many people don't uh, say why do we need history or like, you know, why do we need evolution itself from the very back 
past uh, maybe even the brachiopods all the fossils that we find they don't people are more focused on the future they say why do we need the past uh, so like from your words why do we need the past well the number one point they wouldn't be here if they didn't have a past okay so anybody who says that you tell them that and in order to understand who you are today or what you will become tomorrow you have to know your roots so whether it is history or geological history or paleontology everything goes in telling you who you are i am not only talking about humans humans are only one one element in this whole diverse uh, earth you know and we w- we will not survive unless the others survive so the question is uh, it's important to know that in the geological past what factors led to extinctions why why did the, uh, biodiversity suddenly fall in the past only when you understand that will you understand what uh, is going to happen in the future let me give you an example i don't know i, I don't know when it was exactly beginning of uh, this millennium that there was a tsunami okay a tsunami that caused havoc right from indonesia to 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 india before that before that no one had heard of tsunami they had to tell every student the spelling of tsunami whereas tsunamis were very common in, ge- in geological time it was very common so i am just saying that you do not know what uh, negative factors may happen in the future unless you know the past therefore it is important to know the past in order to know what we can expect in the future and the tsunami is one one factor that before 2004 or whenever it was uh, we didn't know that there was this kind of calamity after that we got activated so there are many such in uh, around 250 million years ago the oxygen in the world suddenly depleted and the earth lost 96% of all its life can you imagine that we are actually survivors of the 4% so the what factors cause depletion of oxygen what can happen in the past can happen in the so i think those who ask these questions you can tell them this okay go yes sir. thank you sir you told your dad was also a geologist but did you as growing up have any amount of like self doubt like why am i going to this field because we all students also have that when we are studying no no self doubt is a very good thing if you have no self doubt you're not going to you're not going to go anywhere so the question always is there is a question of your reliance on yourself everyone should ask am i doing the right thing and everyone should be worried about it so i don't see any problem in that i was like everyone else is worried will i will i do my phd will i flunk my phd will, will i get a job after my phd where will i get a job will i be happy will i be satisfied in the work that i do these are normal questions so it's not it's, i don't think uh, one has to uh, worry about not worrying one should worry it's not a problem sir for the audience can you tell us about your work in very simple terms not just in scientific terms just very simple words so i was 22 years old when i went to the states i got admission at a university in the state of minnesota which is very cold the temperature goes down to minus 30 and stays like that for at least 5 uh, or 6 weeks you know 30 if it even warms up it goes to min- minus 15 or minus 5 so so it was a 
a big change uh, coming from Lucknow where uh, I was studying. So there was the temperature, then there was the culture. It's different, you know, and uh, and it's, so anyway, I got a topic that I really liked. And that was uh, in those days, in the 60s, they had just found these dinosaurs and mammals in Montana. So I was given a PhD topic in Montana, which is far away from uh, in absolutely in uh, badland country. There's nothing there except for rattlesnakes and uh, 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 the big Missouri River and a lot of rocks. So you can imagine that at that age to be given the full responsibility, uh, you always uh, you're talking about self-doubts. The first self-doubt is, am I going to find anything? You know, is if I find something, is it going to be worthwhile? So these are normal thoughts, uh, you know, and uh, you need a lot of luck. You you need a lot of luck uh, to get by. So I had my share, I guess. Sir, uh, speaking about your work, like we all have this mo monotonous uh, pace where even though when we love a profession, there are just mo monotonous moments where we're like, oh, what, what am I even doing? I just want to give this up. Was there any moments like that? No, I'm afraid there were no such moments. Uh, I I I uh, I just uh, enjoyed doing whatever I was doing. You know, some it, it just depends. You know, on on your attitude to your your work, you find everything interesting. So I found still at this age, I find everything of great interest. There's nothing I can do about it. Sir, uh, about the dinosaur, Rajasaurus narmadensis, why was it named Rajasaurus? I mean, I'm just curious when I read about yeah, that. Well, I was uh, instrumental in the name, but I, I must tell you that uh, I was only a member of a team. The One of my very uh, former students who had started his PhD with me and joined the Geological Survey of India, Suresh Shivastav. He's the one who was given the official task of excavating the Balasenor uh, dinosaur locality. And it was he actually who uh, excavated all the dinosaurs in uh, 1982-83 or, or thereabouts. And they were lying actually uh, from after, after the collection. They were lying in the offices of the Geological Survey of India. So it was only in 2003, many years after they were found, that they were identified. And coming to your question, see, in uh, uh, America and in uh, other places uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, you have T-Rex. You know what it means? It means Tyrannosaurus Rex. Rex is king. So I took Rex and called it Rajasaurus because Rex means king. And then Narbadan says because it was very close to the Narbada River. So that's how the name, that's how the name came about. Speaking of like nomenclature, sir, I have heard that geologists have very dif difficult time naming rocks. I mean, why is that? Then biologists or like uh, cosmologists who name planets or like organisms, some are even difficult to pronounce. When we were younger, I couldn't spell conglomerate. It took so much time to know that word itself. Why is it so hard, sir? No, no. So you're talking about naming species. So actually, uh, there are rules. There's an international code of zoological nomenclature. So when you're naming something, you have to be uh, very correct about how you name the genus, if it's new, and name the species. 
So, so there's strict rules. So unless you know what the rules are, you know, and then uh, there's always this little bit that uh, you want to add something of your own, you know. So, so I don't think it's difficult, but you have to follow the rules. And uh, uh, for us, there's no big name. Maybe for people who are not in the field, they find that uh, the names are peculiar. In fact, conglomerate, just to come back to what you say, is the English word conglomeration, meaning collection. So it's not, uh, it's not, you know, it's not really out of the way. Yeah, it took some while to understand what did conglomerate mean when only in high school. Oh, so that is why they named it like that. It took some time. Yes, exactly. And sir, uh, do you have any um, like concerns or uh, any view, any concerns about the academy in India? Where academy. we are at Academics. Yeah, I'm always concerned. I think a teacher should always be concerned. If a teacher's not concerned, then uh, there's something wanting. I basically, uh, I've been concerned for many, many years about a subject which nobody listens to, to me. And the topic that I'm actually concerned about is the dichotomy into engineering and medical streams. I, I think this is absurd. In, in India, I don't know, in, in North India at least, you know, he's a mathematics stream, he's a biology stream. I, I think this is the most absurd, absurd uh, dichotomy that there can be in academics. But nobody seems to listen to me, you know. So I've tried my, I've tried my best because everything is connected. If you are going to have a dichotomy, then the twain will never meet. You know, they may meet at a stage when you're uh, 30 years old, when you're forced to uh, forced to see the connections. So uh, I, I did the biology stream, but when I went and saw that there was so much uh, that I could do, if I knew a little mathematics, I knew no mathematics. You know, so it 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 uh, occurred to me something like 15, 20 years after uh, my intermediate or whatever it's called that this is wrong. This is uh, absolutely incorrect, and there should be no there should be no uh, dichotomy in education. It's all one. So that's that's my primary concern. Of course, there are many other concerns, but this is a basic concern. You know, and uh, it's not being rectified. Uh, like, is there any uh, solution that we can implement any alternate structure of the yeah, academia? Yeah. Our, our system is very inflexible. So, so the problem is you have to introduce flexibility from a very early stage. Even uh, the engineering guy only in the IT does humanities. And that also many students who do IT students who do humanities, they think it's a waste of time. It's it's not like that in other parts of the world. You can do music and you can do geology. Our focus on academics, uh, I feel, is so rigid that uh, we cannot uh, see the overall picture. The overall picture includes everything. You can't do everything. But if you are fond of uh, uh, philosophy and you still want to become a scientist, you should have the option of doing that. You don't have it now. So this is a, this rigidity goes right down, as I said, to this initial dichotomy. Very, very rigid. You have to get rid of that somehow. So do you think this new education policy that is being introduced and they have planned to complete it by 2035 is going to help in this way? It's going to help. 
but uh, it has to get rid of the rigidity. Everyone cannot be an Einstein. Yeah. And uh, it's only the Einsteins that make a mark. The rest of us, we are just updating the data, isn't it? So in order to get people or pick geniuses or people who can really make a mark, you know, most of them, you look at the world today, many of the people who made a mark didn't go through formal, formal education. They left because they didn't think the education was good enough. Okay, so, and they are the people who made the mark. So I think that, uh, that we should have a eye open for people who do things differently. You know, even if they fail in all other subjects, if there's a mathematician who doesn't know English, so what? His language is mathematics. And we, we, we don't have a system like that. The, he will probably, they'll say that in English, he got some very low percentage and therefore he cannot get admission in some department or whatever it is. We have that kind of system. So that, that's unfortunate. Sir, and uh, speaking about that, like, what are like the interdisciplinary fields of geology that a student can think about in, if, if uh, he or she comes in geology? The sky is the limit because geology is not a subject per se. It's an interactive uh, discipline. It interacts with all other disciplines. So you can be a mathematics and still do geology, a physicist and still do geology, chemistry. So there are many, many, uh, many fields. There, there's practically no field that I know. You give me a field and I'll tell you how it's related to geology. So geology is basically interaction. And it's a basic interaction because it concerns the earth. To me, I'm absolutely amazed at the fact that in high school, they uh, don't teach geology per se. We, we live on the earth, we feed on the earth, we destroy the earth and uh, whenever, and I've tried this also with a number of colleagues to introduce the subject, like you have physics and chemistry, but you don't have earth sciences because the, the usual uh, reasoning is, but we teach them, you know, the syllabus has volcanoes, the syllabus has this, has weathering. That's not the point. The question is, that unless it has an identity, unless the subject, any subject has an identity, the student doesn't know what to do. For him, there's only chemistry, physics, biology, mathematics. So that, that's a big problem as far as I think. And there aren't many institutes which offer uh, geology. Like they offer, but then, yeah, but compared to the other science fields, there aren't many. We need to search actually when we take up MSc or BS in geology. Yeah, no, that's true because, uh, uh, as I said, this is the problem. Usually students come to geology by default. You know, they don't like chemistry. They're not good at mathematics. They don't like big names in biology. So let's try geology. That's not the reason to take up a subject. But that's what happens many times. That's because there's no identity at the high school level. That's what high school or even middle school level. Children, how do we convey the importance of geology and at least to teach them the basics of geology. How do we simplify geology in terms for them? The geology is everywhere. If, if uh, you live in the, in, uh, on a farm and you've, uh, they're drilling for water, in one place you'll find water, 
300 meters you won't find water that's your dream isn't it if people don't understand that how do you make them understand if the river floods uh, your where you live that's geology why does it flood why is it cutting why are you building there firstly you know the the fact is if you look at uh, the himalayas there's a lot of building going on when the builder even knows that the slope is unstable or even they're making roads that are bound to fail because there there's no regard for geology so geology is everywhere you know so it's a, you don't have to uh, look for it but you have to point it out you have to point it out that if there's no water in a well 300 meters away uh, how does water collect you know i've asked this question i've asked this question to a beginning students that you can see the moon which is far away but tell me tell me what lies 100 meters beneath your feet you try and ask that question and you'll find all kinds of answers nobody knows they won't they won't be able to tell you uh, what lies beneath the feet 100 or 200 meters forget 1 kilometer or if there's a you know if the building is made on soil where did the soil come from just basic questions they'll, but they'll tell you you know about mars and they'll tell you about jupiter and they will tell you all kinds of statistics about the solar system how far what is you know they'll give you complicated uh, answers about radiation solar radiation you ask them a basic question they won't be able to tell you so that's that's the gap and that's the gap that you have to bridge sir uh, like astronomy cosmology and all they were basically brought into main field because some uh, maybe educators or some big big names were popularizing it is there like any way we can do the same for geology because many seem people seem to forget that like the basics of science one of the basic fields is geology you can only try actually because uh, i've been trying but i'm succeeded you know so had the good fortune of teaching uh, the introductory geology course way back in 68 1968 and i love teaching the introductory course you know for this reason only just to show that this is as basic as you can get you can't get more basic science than this but the problem is people don't see it as a science they don't see you know the scientific aspects the, that that's the problem when you were talking about that himalayan road it reminded me about uh, where i i live in bangalore so pg of mines recently it got flooded and it has flooded the entire town it the water sunk in and it has flooded the entire town apparently even though geologists told don't do that don't at least bury it they didn't listen they they built an entire town on it and it's become it lost that it has been destroyed here no but they do it everywhere money talks geology doesn't so if real estate is money and people say you know that whatever is going to happen will happen but that's not true so now right now they are blaming climate change for the fact that sea level will rise the sea level has always risen and fallen isn't it if you are building your cities on the beach on some shore obviously they are going to fall to this you know uh, either they are going to be sunk or they are going to be high and dry both ways is wrong everybody wants everything to be absolutely status quo nothing changes nature is not like that everything changes everything is changing 
and everything will change. So unless you understand that, why blame climate change? Blame yourselves. If if students, I mean, uh, get into geology, water, like you know, the common challenges. I mean, we all have every subject has its own set of challenges that they have to go through. But uh, like like that, are there any specifics in geology that they have to face? So the main problem I think is in India and in countries like India where employability is prime. There's the first consideration is will I get a job? That determines what you do. Okay, so there there are very few people who will take a subject because they love it and they will you know even if they don't uh, get a good job they will still pursue. But uh, most of us obviously look for a job at the end of our degrees. So that's the biggest problem actually employability. So the there are many places that actually employ geologists as you, as you may know, but most of our universities, most of the departments are only 50% strength. You know, the, no one is recruiting. The, there's a great uh, dearth of recruitment. If everyone was recruiting, then there would be no problem. But you have these uh, cycles of recruitment and then cycles of quiescence, nothing happens. So a student who studies during these periods when nothing is happening, he gets frustrated, you know. So that's a problem. Everything has to pull at an equal pace. Uh, sir, speaking of jobs, like, um, are there any common jobs where geologists are hired so that that can give an insight to students? Yeah, the, the geological survey hires, the ONGC hires, the atomic energy also hires. So there are a number of people that hire. But uh, there, there's no public interest private enterprise there was like the mines and all there's so many restrictions that there are not enough private players opening mines just getting a lease is a problem so in many other countries many geologists young geologists get jobs in uh, private enterprises whether it's oil or whether it's here there's a lot of state-owned stuff so if the state owns stuff and they have to then recruit you know, so that's a problem and the colleges don't teach. There are very few colleges that recruit or that teach geology. There are some, but very few. So if everyone were to push to the maximum level, you will get a job uh, opportunity. Sir, and specifically for like paleontologists, if we come from the paleontology perspective, most of the paleontologists before were hired for fossil fuel companies. But these days, because of climate change, that they are being shut down. So what are like the other jobs that a paleontologist do? So in, in, in the US, this was a problem long time ago. So I'm talking about vertebrate paleontology. Vertebrate paleontology is the paleontology of vertebrate. vertebrate. So many people like me who did vertebrate paleontology, my colleagues, my friends, they got jobs and they're still getting jobs in uh, medical colleges where they teach anatomy. So there's nothing like this in India. If you look at the medical colleges in India, there are, anatomy is essential. <laughs> if, you, if you don't know anatomy, you're not going to be a doctor. So in, in the States, it's the vertebrate paleontologist because he has an idea. He or she has an idea not only of the human anatomy, but again of the anatomy of all other vertebrates. So again, this is a mindset that I'm only going to do human anatomy. How am I considered? concerned about the anatomy of a crocodile 
how is it going to help me so we are always focused we are always focused very narrowly focused on you know outcome we want if we put in so much energy we want to see the outcome but actually basic sciences is not like that in basic sciences you need lot of inputs to come up with something like darwin did you won't get a you won't get a darwin with our system of education you know you you need a education that is very broad based and this is something that people don't understand i don't know why the, you have to broad base your education you can't narrow it sir i just had a thought like when you were talking about vertebrate paleontology like the, the coral reefs are dying which is very very bad for the entire ocean system can geologists do something about that even in india also it's happening a lot so the, the, there are multiple reasons for coral reefs one of course is the ocean pollution and coral reefs are very sensitive to sea level so if sea level goes up or down they keep pace but if the level goes the rate at which sea level is going up or down is more than they can cope with they will die so there's pollution in the sea there's warming there's sea level fluctuations so since corals are very very sensitive to all these and they've been sensitive not only now there have been times in earth history when there were a lot of reefs and then there were times that through acidification of the ocean or whatever reason you know the reefs died out these are cyclical things but the thing is that you have to analyze why it's happening maybe you can't stop the earth from rotating but at least you should know why it's rotating you know that's that's the level at which you can uh, think sir and uh, uh, like about the himalayas it is the youngest mountain range in the world uh, about that like they, how are they so strong i don't know how what with the right word to use like um, what are the ores or what are the compositions of himalayan mountains so <clears throat> this is a basic question in geology the mountains are nothing else but uh, ancient oceans that have been uplifted so on top of everest you have fossils devonian fossils from a ancient sea you understand so uh, if they appear strong or they appear to you to be growing it's because india is still dashing into asia it's not stopped it's doing that 1 cm every year doesn't sound lot 1 cm every year is quite a lot isn't it so in uh, in 100000 years it's quite a good number so that's why when you say strong i think you mean why there's so so many things happening there in 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 the aravallis or the nilgiris whatever had to happen has happened you know everything is quiet and peaceful but the himalayas are still in turbulence the more you raise them the more they erode the more they erode the more flood they come so it's it's all turbulent and that's the reason is that india is still crashing into asia sir and when uh, i was reading about the dinosaur nesting sites why why was india the, this entire um, subcontinent chosen by like the dinosaurs as a nesting site was it that much favorable <laughs> no no let me just tell you that if you have dinosaurs in antarctica and there are dinosaurs in antarctica or america or south america or china obviously they were nesting somewhere you can't have dinosaurs without nest, nest, having eggs is it it 
The question is of preservation. They are preserved in India. So your question has to be reframed that why are they preserved? And that is the question that is important, not why are they here? They are everywhere. If you, are, you can't have a population without eggs. <laughs> so that's, and they're in India, they actually, one of the reasons why you have these are, are that uh, many of the sites after nesting, they were actually covered by basalts, you know, so they have not been eroded. In many other places, it's very difficult to erode basalts. They're protected. So many of these uh, egg sites in India are preserved because of this. Otherwise, 65 million years of erosion, many would have get got weathered out. But they're preserved because of that. One of the reasons. Uh, and sir, about preservation, so uh, what is the progress on uh, creating a national repository for uh, kind of... Uh, preserving uh, for already ex excavated fossils and what is is there any plan for establishing a museum of natural history in India? So about two three years ago, uh, there was a big movement and it's still going on. This was the Indian Museum of Earth. So this was actually uh, uh, one of the main issues, and uh, I'm happy to say that there's movement on that. And the question that you raise about repository is part of this movement. Because the question is, for paleontology or for all other subjects, you need a permanent place where your fossils can be kept. Right now, you can't keep them, you know, there, there's no provision. There's no provision for keeping them in, uh, in small state universities. There's no funding. There's the, so it's difficult to get even a room, forget repository. So, so there's movement on that. And I'm hopeful. And uh, hopefully, uh, I, I think people realize, everyone realizes that this is an important issue. And uh, this is one of the subjects on which there's movement. So let's hope. Uh, sir, who is lead, uh, who are the key people who are leading this movement? So there are many people. Uh, there was a, right from the top, the pr principal scientific advisor to the government, right from that level to all the geologists, there are many sub-movements, you know, the movements of people who are conserving geo-heritage, people like me who are more on an individual try, trying to do it. So there are a lot of people in Bangalore, in, in the Indian Institute of Science, who are concerned. Everyone's concerned. Everyone's trying to do something. So I, I, I think something will be done. The question is, when a lot of people are concerned, you have to collect and then uh, there are so many different... Uh, factors involved you know some that conflict with each other you have by the time you solve them out it takes time but we are on our way so last but not the least like do you have any words of encouragement for people who are really interested in geology and just want to pursue that well the reason at this age i'm giving the interview is because i want to encourage them isn't it without without uh, uh, in fact at my own level i set up a a museum, a government, the government museum in Chandigarh has all my fossils. So at my own level, I've tried my best to encourage, built all kinds of uh, models at the Science City in near Jalandhar, you know, so that people get to see. Our problem is that they, our young people are so obsessed with dinosaurs. There, there are many other fossils, you know. Life is not only dinosaurs. And... Uh, Many in many places in the world, young children 
boys and girls, eight or eight or nine, you know, around their home, they find fossils and they get interested. It's like stamp collection in the beginning. Then they start asking questions. What is this? What is that? So that's one way. The other way is going to museums. So in my own way, I've tried to rectify that. But hopefully when this museum, which is called Time, the Indian Museum of Earth, you know, then more people, more young students. Basically, if you don't ask questions, in fact, in fact, uh, one of our problems you have is that we are so disciplined in school that we are not allowed to ask questions. And that, that, that is, I think, one of the biggest, saddest things that can happen. Our, our, uh, our model of a good student is a disciplined student, an unruly student who asks questions. He's, he's, uh, was, is, you know, he's not uh, regarded uh, at all. And that, that is the problem. We don't encourage. So that, that uh, I'd like to end with this, that uh, you have to encourage questions. There, there's no school system that uh, will produce uh, people who are curious unless you answer their question. So that, that I think is an important, uh, important issue. Yeah, sir. Thank you so much for this interview, sir. We are really grateful to have like such a big person talking about... No, no big person here. It's just... Uh, Ordinary person, no big person. Sir, we all aspire to be like so passionate and scientists like you, sir. Are we the young generation, our generation? So no, it's a lot of luck, a little hard work, a lot of support from students. So uh, that's that's it. Hope you loved the episode. Subscribe to our show and see you next Saturday.